Morning. Again, it's great to be in God's house and to fellowship with believers. There's an excitement continuing to build in our midst. I hope you sense the spirit of the Lord working in our midst. And I hope you realize, as we've been spending some time the last several weeks, I hope you realize that there is a battle being waged, again, right here, right now, for your soul. There's an unseen battle. We don't have the privilege, I think sometimes thankfully, of seeing what's going on just beyond our physical ability. But there is a battle being waged for the, the, the souls of men and women and boys and girls. We've been reviewing the uh, reminder that we live not only in a physical world, not only in a world that we can see, touch, taste, smell, but we also live within a spiritual world. The question we've been asking is, what do we see? And the prayer we've been praying is, Lord, open our eyes to the unseen. Uh, we started this series with the reminder from the book of 2 Kings chapter 6. The reminder of the prophet Elisha and his servant as they are facing insurmountable odds one morning. If you look at 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15, as a reminder this morning. When the servant of the man of God, that is Elisha's servant, got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what do we do? What will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. He wasn't talking about human ability. Elisha then prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. And so we say, again, Hyde Wesleyan Church, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus our Lord, there are more on our side than on theirs. And again, the temptation is real, right? To lose sight of this reality that we live not only in a physical world, the things that we can touch, taste, and smell. We lose sight often. The temptation happens in every life, and I believe it's rampant in the church of Jesus Christ, to lose sight that we are not living simply for the here and now. And so we pray again that the Lord would open our eyes to see the physical and the spiritual world that we live in. Our prayer must be that the Lord would open our eyes to the things unseen that exist around us. And we join in the prayer of the Apostle Paul for the early church in Ephesus when he wrote these words. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Again, we read these. Paul writes, I, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He, Jesus, has called you, to the riches of His glorious inheritance for His holy people and His incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul's prayer, Elisha's prayer, and our prayer must be, Lord, open our eyes. And we're continuing in this reminder of the Apostle Paul's uh, letter to the church at Ephesus and uh, a portion of uh, Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul outlines the full armor of God, all of God's armor that he enables the Christian to have and to put on in order to withstand the attack of the enemy. It comes from Ephesians chapter 6. Allow me to read again verses 10 through 17. Paul writes a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of 
the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when that day of evil does come, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belts of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted, with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Last week, we introduced you to the, uh, the three areas where the enemy would seek to attack us, maybe most deliberately, most intentionally. Last week we talked specifically, I encouraged us to put our helmets on. Remember? That our minds are under attack, that the enemy would get you and me, would scheme every day, all day, to cause Christians around the globe to quit on God's truth, to lose sight of God's truth, to settle for less than God's truth as truth. The reality is the enemy will seek to attack, seek to find a way into our minds to uh, attack God's truth if we are not diligent to put on our helmets. We are prone to this attack. We are are prone in our our human bent to substitute our own versions of truth. We we are prone, we are susceptible to uh, popular opinion finding its place as the truth in a culture. We are often likely... To lessen the impact God's truth has on our own lives when we put others in front. And this is exactly what the enemy would desire in our life. Do you need the reminder that the enemy knows that he loses in the end? He knows how this plays out. He doesn't know how long the time is before the final battle. He doesn't know how long it is before Jesus returns for his beautiful bride, the church. But the enemy knows how it plays out. And so he is bent on destroying the lives. Make no mistake. The enemy seeks to destroy us, to keep the souls of men and women and boys and girls from ever inheriting the promise of eternity we have with our Heavenly Father. Last week, the reminder was the enemy seeks to attack our minds this morning. Uh, Allow yourselves to be in agreement that the enemy also seeks to attack our hearts. We are very susceptible in our hearts. And Paul uses his letter to the early church to remind them to put on, he says, the breastplate of righteousness. And I think while we're quite familiar uh, of what it takes to put on a a helmet in our modern culture, in 2019, we know the importance of putting on a a, a helmet. Uh, Maybe maybe better, we understand the dangers of not putting on a helmet when we're doing something that involves our cranium. (laughs) 
We know the dangers of not putting on a helmet, but I, I think in some ways uh, this breaks down a little bit. The, the illustration of the, the Roman armor breaks down a little bit in 2019 because we have uh, far gone away from wearing body armor, suits of armor in our everyday life. And as Paul is looking at the Roman soldiers, for examples, and he's encouraging the early church to put on the, the breastplate, the armor of God, we are here today trying to figure out exactly what that might look like in our life. And perhaps no, uh, no better illustration comes from the reality of the sport of football, right? Now I've told you before that I didn't play high school football. I wanted to, uh, but instead I was in marching band. And I don't regret that decision, Rusty. <clears throat> Rusty likes to call me out every couple of weeks on the fact that I didn't play football. But I don't regret the decision to be in marching band. In fact, when I got to Bible school at Indiana Wesleyan University, I found out that we had something called intramural football available for us. And I was even more excited that a, a group of my buddies wanted to play. As freshmen, we wanted to build our own team and be a part of intramural football. So it was very exciting. Uh, we, we would uh, take a break from classes in the evening, and uh, we would sometimes practice plays. We'd come up with awesome plays uh, and, and practice them in parking lots that were still lit at that hour of the evening. And, and we would work our best to try to be ready for the season that freshman year, and uh, we were more than excited to know that we would be playing on a Thursday night under the lights on the soccer field that had been painted with chalk for us to play football. We were not so excited to find out that in that first game, we would go against upperclassmen, juniors and seniors, who I'm fairly convinced learned to play intramural football while in prison. <laughs> but we were ready to play. And in our league of intramural football, it was flag football, but intramural sounds so much better. In our league of intramural flag football, we, we had the opportunity to either throw off for a kickoff or punt for a kickoff. And I don't remember whether uh, we threw the ball down the field or whether someone on my team punted it, but I remember the feeling of running down the field at the other team for the first time of intramural football. Lights on, two people in the stadium watching. It wasn't very popular. But I remember the feeling of being out there playing for the first time and being so excited until my running at full speed towards another player from the other team stopped pretty quickly when that former prisoner <laughs> was bigger than I was and was immovable. I took a hit that night, that first throw off, the first kickoff of our season of intramural football. I took a hit that I didn't know I was ready for and I wasn't ready for it. Now, honestly, I took a hit, hit the ground, got up, went to the sideline and lost my dinner. <laughs> I had no idea, but I did know that I didn't like to get hit. Something I could have done well with in intramural football if it would have been allowed is this. So I'm going to do this. First service, I found out just how much fun these are to wear. I had no idea. Do you know why football players wear these? Isaac, you do. Do you know why? To protect their vitals. Do you know what vitals? Do you know what's right under here besides pure muscle? 
church service laughed too at that part. That was weird. It's <laughs> my great big heart. I really could have done well with wearing pads in intramural football that first game. Turns out, in our intramural league, we weren't supposed to uh, block each other with our bodies. No one told us that. And I'm telling you, the juniors and seniors on the other team were glad no one told us that. Because they took care of the other team that night. We had a great rest of our season. I don't have a Super Bowl ring to prove it to you, but shoulder pads are the modern-day equivalent, right? Uh, of the breastplate of righteousness. This is a suit of armor that we're going to see played out across many fields this afternoon, right? We know the importance, and even if we didn't play football, we know that this is more than just shoulder pads. This is to protect the, the, the vitals of the person wearing them. There's something about our, our heart. There's something about the insides of us that doesn't need to be scrambled, right? We don't want the insides of us to be crushed and hurt. Google says that we can live for only about six minutes if our heart stops. Do you know that? Six minutes before someone better jumpstart you. It's not a very long time. We know the importance of our heart. We know the physical representation of what is inside of us, how this is the lifeblood of our body and how it pumps that lifeblood to every part of our body. And so we do what we can to protect it unless we're a dumb freshman at Bible school. <laughs> We know it's important to protect our physical hearts. There's an important role that's played in making sure that we stay alive by protecting our hearts. You can imagine, again, the Apostle Paul knowing the importance in a Roman soldier's life and his body armor to protect his body. He wore a breastplate, a, uh, an impenetrable skin to protect his vitals. And last week, again, we, we understood the enemy seeks to attack our, our minds, and so we had to put on a helmet. They don't make helmets big enough for this guy. Thankfully, they make, I'll let you guess what size pads these are. And if last week we understood that the enemy's attack is for you and I to quit on God's truth and that we have to put on the armor of our helmet to trust God's truth, this morning, hear it this way about our hearts. The enemy is seeking to attack our hearts and get us to rebel against God's righteousness. We've got to get this, I think. Yeah, I'm going to wear these pads till the end of the service. So get over it. Because I'm living out a bucket list item right now, let me tell you. First service, I offered to go head to head, shoulder to shoulder with someone. Nobody took me up. I'm not going to give you guys the option. The enemy would seek to get us to rebel against God's righteousness by influencing our hearts. Righteousness is a word that we use often in churchy circles, right? It's a word that gets thrown around. We've seen it a lot in Scripture. Uh, we, we talk a lot about it sometimes, but maybe we don't know specifically what it is. We, we often use words like uh, virtue and justice and correctness to refer to that word of righteousness. And very simply, the word righteousness can be uh, simply defined as rightness, the, the quality of being morally right. And, and we have to understand that God the God of the universe, the creator of all things. Genesis 1.1, God. In the beginning, God created. And so God set the standard of what righteousness is, of what rightness is. God 
perfect and holy, can do no wrong, makes no mistakes, set the standard of righteousness. And ever since, since he created Adam and Eve and they first chose to sin against him, humanity as a whole has sought to invent and create a substandard of righteousness. One that, if we're completely honest, changes often. Uh, you know this. What's morally acceptable in September 2019, it looks far different than what was morally acceptable 100 years ago, 50 years ago. Our culture changes on uh, what we agree is right, right? Humanity continues to uh, debate what's right. They don't believe me? Look at advertising. Check out this, this ad from Mattel. Back in 1967, Mattel advertised this. An M16 Marauder toy. You think that would fly in any catalog today? Mattel would be wiped off the face of the planet in 2019 if they advertised this way. How about this one? I'm going to get in trouble. 1950s, the Kenwood chef. Look at this quote. The chef does everything but cook. That's what wives are for. <laughs> I'm cooking lunch today just because I used this illustration, okay? <laughs> we can't even imagine ads like this 70 years ago playing out today, right? It's amazing how quickly, how, how changed our culture is. And these weren't just morally acceptable in the eyes of those who were doing it. People were paid big bucks to come up with advertising this way based on what the norm was in our culture. Here's the truth. You don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to even say this. We've been wrong. We've been wrong in our hearts. We, we've been wrong when it comes to our own ideas of what's right and wrong. We have been wrong before. I have been wrong before. Well, you and I as fallen human beings think what even what we believe is right and acceptable, what our hearts think is right or acceptable, we are susceptible in our human hearts to being wrong. We are not holy and pure in our core. We are not that way. We are not God. Your feelings, my feelings, well, they're vulnerable. They're changing. They, they change based on so many criteria in our life. My emotions, my feelings, my heart is often weak and susceptible and exposed and prone to being misaligned before God's true standard. And the enemy who seeks to destroy us is working around the clock to get you and I to rebel against God's truth and settle for what we feel is right. Do you know this? 
in first service, I, I did this posture a couple times, and I'm telling you, it's so cool now. I've never worn pads, but like when I watch guys on the sidelines on football Sunday, and they're doing this, I'm like, oh, I want to do that. So I'm just going to do this. Do you know that the enemy is seeking to pitch you and me a commercial of saying, God's standard. How do you feel? What's your heart say? Do you hear it? Do you see it? Are you on Facebook? Maybe no better place to see this reality realized, to see how, how it is that the enemy has infiltrated the minds and hearts of humanity than to scroll through something like Facebook. Look at these quotes that are so common. Look, look at these. I found these. Listen to this first one. Don't think. Believe. Trust your heart, not your brain. Don't think. Feel. Believe. Is that uncommon? Is that weird? Uh, maybe on Sunday morning in church, we sit here and we're like, oh my goodness, that's crazy. Let me tell you who shared that this week. I'm just kidding, nobody did. <laughs> I was hoping you'd be like, oh my goodness, did I? How about this one? Go inside and listen to your body. This is kooky. Go inside and listen to your body because your body will never lie to you. Your mind may play tricks, but the way you feel in your heart and your guts, that's the truth. Oh, yeah. Steve Jobs. Remember Steve Jobs passed away just eight years ago or so. Mr. Apple famously quoted, there is no reason not to follow your heart. And these quotes and thousands more like them that to focus on the human desire to look within and decide for yourselves what's right and wrong. This is so prevalent in our culture today. And let me tell you, as a pastor, it is so prevalent in our churches today. It is so not uncommon to hear the same attitude from those and I'm counseling those I'm relating to, those I'm discipling. Trust your heart isn't simply a secular common phrase. This same idea is overwhelmingly present in the church. And let me remind us, we're, we're not without warning to this idea. God's word is not silent at all on the dangers of a, a lifestyle that agrees with the notion of trusting ourselves, trusting our own heart. Mark chapter 7. In the New Testament, Jesus is facing off against some Pharisees who are trying to trick him. They're trying to catch him in, in, in wrongdoing. And they, they notice that the disciples, this is so funny, they notice that the disciples are not following the Jewish tradition of washing their hands before a meal. A ceremonial, not just a cleanliness. And, and let me just tell you, the same thing happens at the men's retreat. Guys don't wash their hands for three days. <laughs> Except for me, Mr. Hand Sanitizer. These disciples are caught by the Pharisees and not washing their hands. And in verse 14, Jesus calls to the crowd to come in here and he tries to write this reality and he says this, all of you listen, Mark chapter 7, verse 14, all of you listen, try to understand, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. And Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd and his disciples come to him and they're like, I don't get it. What did you just say there? 
And Jesus in verse 18, don't you understand either? Can't you see that the food you put into your body can't defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart. It only passes through your stomach and then goes into the sewer. And, and then he adds this in verse 20. It is what comes from inside that defiles you. From, for from within, out of a person's heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what make you dirty. The voice of our culture Steve Jobs says, there's no reason not to follow your heart. A voice of righteousness, Jesus Christ says, out of our heart, out of the human condition heart comes all of this evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. That's the state of the human heart. Prophet Jeremiah tells us what God says about the heart in Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The human heart, God says, is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So what are we to do to guard, protect, change this human heart? I encourage you, Hyde Wesleyan Church, put your pads on. <laughs> you can get these on Amazon. I dare you, walk around like this. If you do it, take a picture. Don't get physical pads. Put on the breastplate. Guard your heart. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, penned this familiar passage in the book of Proverbs, chapter 4. He writes this, inspired by God, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep within, into your heart. For they bring life to those who find them and healing for their whole body. Verse 23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. If the enemy's attack is to cause us to look within for our source of inspiration, to uh, find a way to get us to rebel against God's righteousness, God's rightness, God's standard, then what's the armor? How can we guard our hearts? The armor, the, the, the way the pads should work is for you and me to revel in. Write it down. Revel in God's righteousness. Revel is one of those words we don't use in modern day, right? To revel in something means to celebrate, to marinate in it, to soak it up. It, it, my attempt at translating it, to turn up the faucet of God's righteousness in our lives in such a way that everything else is just a trickle. Again, God's word, Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight rather in the law of the Lord. They guard their hearts. They marinate on God's word, his righteousness. They meditate it on all, all day and all night by guarding their hearts. They, those who have their hearts guarded, are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither. 
and they prosper in all that they do. Put on your pads. Guard your vitals. Guard your heart. Two ways to do this practically. First, protect your first. Uh, back to flag football. I mean, intramural football. <clears throat> Sounds way better. Way more macho. Intramural football, I played center. Surprise. In intramural football, we all were eligible receivers, and so it was a time of my life to be the center who hiked the ball and gave it to my quarterback and tried to protect him. He was my first, our team's first, and every once in a while when he would break away and have a chance to throw a pass real short, I was the guy who got to catch it once, and it was the time of my life. But one of my jobs as the center is the only guy who would often stay back was to protect him and try to block with just my hands someone who would try to run across the line to go after him. Protect your first, spiritually speaking. In our spiritual terms, as men and women who are bought with the precious blood of Jesus means that we have got to settle who is first in our heart. In our life. And remember, we are predisposed, we are pre programmed to say we are number one. I am number one. Me first. And our culture continues to preach that attitude towards us every single day. But we cannot live this way any longer as followers of Christ. In fact, we're taught to die to that idea. Again, the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 17. Paul writes this, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives them because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But Paul's saying this is the norm. This, this is the old way of doing life. This is what's around you. This is your culture. This is the I am number one lifestyle that you see represented all around you. And then Paul continues in verse 20. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Or rather, since you have heard about Jesus, you have learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupt corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy because of Him. Christians, guard your hearts. Protect who's first. The enemy seeks to dethrone Jesus Christ, to unseat Jesus as the center of our life. Remember, in the enemy's eyes, Jesus as our co-pilot is even better than Jesus as our pilot. The enemy would seek in any way to get Jesus to move just down one chair. Just away from center, just, just a hairline. He wins in his book. The enemy wants to distract you and me and make us in little and in big ways to forget whose we are. God says in Proverbs 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own 
understanding. Seek his will in all you do. And he will show you what path to take. Rewritten in modern day for today in our culture. Trust your heart. Believe inside of you. You you know what's right. Follow it. Don't be first. Protect Jesus as first. How, how do you protect Jesus as first? Put your pads on. Guard your heart. The enemy doesn't want him there. Guard your heart. Second, protect your fire. If Jesus Christ is the center, if he is at the core of everything we are, everything we choose to do and live our life, our life, the life of one who has uh, centered Christ in his or her heart must be completely different than, than those who do not have Jesus as the center. Our passions our attitudes, our excitements, the things we talk about, the things we do, our actions, they are all an outflow of a, a heart. Look again at how differently our lives are different than those without Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, again, Paul, just a couple of verses later from where we've been, verse 25, Paul says, So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Verse 28, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work. Then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Verse 30, don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own. Hear that again. Remember, He, our Savior Jesus Christ, has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, Rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. And somebody just closed their Bible, right? The list is overwhelming, right? Do this. Don't do that. It, is the life of a follower of Christ... Work? You betcha. If no one's ever told you that, I'm sorry. We've got work to do. We cannot be the same as those who do not have Christ as their center. The fire within us is different than the fire of those who are following their own heart. So protect your fire. Know whose you are. Allow Him to come through in everything we do. It's a tough call. You can't do it on your own. All the more reason to put on our pads.
We've been given an armor. We've been given a protection. We can. By the strength of Christ in our lives, we can protect our hearts. You have been given this set of pads. The breastplate of righteousness is yours for the taking. God offers it to you. It is available for you to be protected from the enemy who would seek to destroy you. Your heart, your emotions, they're vulnerable. They're open. They're prone to attack. So put your pads on. Gear up. Put your helmet on. Protect your mind. Put your pads on. Protect your heart. Guard your heart. Hide Wesleyan. The enemy is seeking every day to get you and to me to rebel against God's righteousness. Put on your pads and instead revel in his righteousness. Will you stand? Will you bow your heads with me? This morning, if you're in this place and God is speaking to you and you're acknowledging somehow that that God is calling you to guard your heart, to put your pads on, to die to a substandard version of truth and righteousness according to the world and to live for instead his truth if, if, if God's convicting your, whole, your heart this morning and you want to acknowledge that and ask me as your pastor to pray for you with the heads bowed and eyes closed nobody's looking around to check but if this morning something's going on inside of you and you would just say Pastor Stevan would you pray for me this week something's, something's going on and I I need this. I need to guard my heart again. If that's you, would you just simply raise your hand so I can see it? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're in such good company, brothers and sisters. I want you to hear that. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Amen. Let me pray. Jesus, it is so easy for us to be distracted in this life, to be caught up in the way of our culture and the way of our, our world and to be found needing a, a writing. Jesus, I pray right here, right now, that for these men and women who, Lord, you are doing a work in, even, even in these moments, I pray, Lord, that we together, collectively, would be a church that puts our pads on and guards our hearts. Help us to seek after your righteousness, your kingdom's righteousness, your standard, and to not be caught in the way that the enemy is seeking to destroy humanity in settling for a substandard of righteousness. Lord, I pray that we would hunger and thirst, as Scripture calls us to, hunger and thirst after your righteousness. Lord, would you convict our hearts? And in the moments where we are convicted, help us not to run. Help us, Lord, to be made right. 
God, again this morning, I thank you for the protection you have given us. Thank you for the breastplate of righteousness. Thank you for the ability we have been given through your power to have our hearts protected. Lord, I pray again today that we would, as men and women, bought with the precious blood of Jesus, that we would put on this breastplate of righteousness, that we would put on these pads every day to protect our vitals. I ask that you would give us grace, Lord, when we forget. I pray that you would call us to every day surrender to you. And I pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus, the name above all others. And God's people said, Amen.